chapter 7, just a few pages earlier from where I just read to you. And, and I've got a good bit of scripture tonight, but, but if you hang out in the book of Proverbs, you'll, you'll, you'll get there more often than you want. So just kind of hang out there. I've got a lot of scripture from Proverbs, but of course there's some other, other places as well. So, Lord willing, unless it changes my mind, uh, this brings this series to an end. And it was for a couple of reasons. One, because we have some young men that are kind of reaching some, some critical junctures in their life. They're starting to, to make some decisions that are going to have probably bigger impacts than the decisions they were making a couple of years ago, which was, you know, a chocolate shake or a pill shake or a big bag or a whopper or whatever it might be. You know, the decisions get a little weightier the older that you get. But, but it's not just for them because the Word of God is looking with all of us and all of us are still trying to find our way. We're still trying to find the will of God. And so what this has been all about is how do I discern the will of God for my life? If you don't want to do the will of God, that's not your concern. That's not what you're after. You're, you're welcome to go tonight because you're going to be wasting your time. And, and don't bother going and listening to all the recordings because that's really what this is about. For those that want to be in the will of God for their life, this is how to do it. This is how to do it. And I can tell you how to do it according to Scripture and according to what God's taught me in my uh, over 40 years here. Come to Proverbs chapter 7 with me. I'm going to read a good bit of this chapter. Uh, I can't remember if I got quite all of it or not, but I'm going to read a good bit of it because it really kind of underscores everything that we've been talking about. Proverbs has been called by many uh, the book of the doctrine of two ways. You can choose God's way or your way. You can choose the wise way or you can choose the foolish way. And, and it's pretty clear which, which way it prefers. This is not one of those, it's just God's best kind of things like you might hear on television. It's go this way or you're just going to die. You're just going to wind up in places that you never thought you'd, you'd end up. But go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 7. And, and you see this theme runs throughout the whole book. But, but I just pulled this one out. It seemed to jump off the page to me earlier this week when I was here. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1 says, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and thy law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers and write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman. From the stranger which flattereth with her words. Now, all throughout the book of Proverbs, the, the wrong way and, and the foolish and, and the way of error has been likened unto a, a strange woman. It's been likened unto an adulterous woman that would draw the attention of the man away from the path that he was supposed to be on. And so this chapter starts out with, with, with the writer saying, Keep the way of God. Walk in God's ways. Set out in your heart to, to go where God is leading you to go. And to do what God is telling you to do. That's what this has been about. Avoid the path of error. If you can avoid the mistake, don't make it. If you can steer clear of the obstacle, go around it. But make sure that you stay in God's way. Don't look for another way. Humanity spent, you know, roughly 6,000 years trying to find another way, and there's only one. Jesus said, it's me. I am the way. Don't, don't look for another way. Follow these steps. Walk down this road to find your way with God. Because if not, the next few verses, they reveal to us what happens if we don't follow the right path. Verse 6 says, From at the window of my house, I looked through my casement, and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. All of this takes place in the midst of darkness. Because you can't see the whole picture in darkness. 
Things look different in the darkness. That, that, that thing that seemed like it moved over in the corner of your bedroom that undoubtedly must be a monster. When the light gets turned on and you realize it's just a piece of paper that the fan happened to raise it off the top of the dresser. Things, things look different in the darkness. If you dwell in darkness, the enemy can have his way with you. Because he's better at deception when you can't see. Verse 10 says, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. She was dressed to be attractive. She was dressed to be seductive. And she was dressed to be available. The enemy's going to show up with a lot of things that are going to look appealing to you. The enemy's going to show up with a lot of options in his hand, and all of those options look pleasing to you, and they are ready for the table. Verse 11 says, She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every the enemy will get loud. The enemy will get in your face. The enemy will make a lot of noise. We live in a world today where the enemy of our soul is making a lot of noise. And here's the thing. The loudest voice is not always God. Very rarely so is the loudest voice you're hearing the one that belongs to God. Because if you're ever going to hear God's voice, which is what this, this series has been all about, you've got to be listening for The devil knows you're not listening for him, so he's going to show up and make sure you hear anyway. There was nothing in, in the book of Genesis that said that, that Eve went hunting for the serpent. The serpent made sure he was at the right place at the right time. Verse 13 says, So she caught him, and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, Things that you get too close to. When you walk for too long down the wrong road, and you start dealing with wrong things for too much time, they will reach out and grab. They will reach out from where they are. The writer here is saying, Walk in the right path. Don't go down that street. Don't go to that section of town. Don't leave this building tonight thinking that there's another way, that there's a better way, that something that all of humanity had to figure out in 6,000 years, you're somehow going to figure out. You've got to walk in God's way. Because if you flirt for too long in the wrong places, she'll reach out and grab you. Verse 14 says, I had peace offerings with thee. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. She begins to make some references to things that are holy and good. Mixing just a little bit of godliness, mixing just a little bit of good intentions, mixing just a little bit of something that maybe you're accustomed to when you were walking down the right road. How many people lie spiritually dead today because of some decision they made that at one time they said was the will of God. God must want me to have this. God must want me to go there. It all just worked out. It must be the hand of God. There are people that are sitting with no spirit in their soul right now. Because of a lie that the enemy told them that sounded holy enough to listen further. It don't matter how many peace offerings the heart it makes. She's still out for your soul. Verse 16, I decked my bed with coverings of tapestry with carved works with fine linen of Egypt. And I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. 
in the midst of all this conversation that's going on, the thing that is the attraction from the enticements of Egypt. It may have been in God's city. It may have been just right around the corner from the holy place. But the thing that was in this lady's house came from Egypt. You need to realize as you're walking through life and making important decisions, if the choices that you're making just seems like all too often it suits your flesh too well, you need to do some more praying and make sure that the woman you're talking to is the right one. Because you're rarely going to find your flesh pleased by the ways of God. The things of Egypt will never lead you close to God. Verse 18, come let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love. Now we're at the point that this man knows what's going on. This man knows that the road he's walking down is the wrong one. And the house he's standing nearby to is the wrong house. Because now the cover has come off the deception. But she's not there. There's times that even when we intend not to wind up in places like this in life, we still wind up standing there. And then in that almost that last opportunity of escape, we have that realization, oh, I don't belong here. Anybody ever been in a place like that before? It may have taken you a while to get there, and you really were being foolish walking down that path getting there. But then you have that moment where you know God smacked the backside of your head and said, wake up, son, because you're in the wrong place. There's no mystery about what she's after at this point. But then she says, for the good man is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. What does she promise him? She promises him there's going to be time to recover. There's going to be time to get away. There's going to be time to make good on the bad that's about to happen. How many people made bad choices in life? How many people walked down the wrong road in life with every intention of coming back? Yeah. I'm just going to date it for a while. I'm just going to take that job for a while. I'm just going to engage in that activity for a little bit. I've got every, I'm just going to go and sow my wild oats for just a little while. But I'm going to come back, Pastor. I'm going to get it right, Pastor. I'm going to make it right, Daddy. I'm going to make it right, Mama. Why? Because you now know that the road you're walking in is foolishness. So the enemy's got to feed you one more lie. And just go ahead and do it. We'll work it out later. Since when did there become anything other than the perfect will of God? I remember growing up hearing this term called the permissible will of God. I, I have yet to find that in my Bible. Oh, I understand that we make mistakes and we do wrong things and, and God can take what we meant for evil and He can work it out for good. I understand all those things. But we are never called to live anything less than exactly what God wants for our life. There's no plan B. There's not a part-time saying to God. There's not a, you know, I, I just want to be saved, but I don't want to be a witness for him. I want my soul to make heaven, but I don't want to tell anybody else how to make heaven. I don't find that in my Bible. With her much fair speech, she calls him to heal. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as
direction of the stalks till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Why am I preaching this? Because there's decisions that we make in life that if we make them the wrong way, we might not recover. All of my faith and all of my trust is in the grace and the mercy of God. But there's times that you choose paths in life. You never get back to that crossroad again. And even if God has mercy and even if God shows grace and even if God washes sins away, there's things that can't be in your life anymore. Because that day and that time has passed. Don't let your flesh don't become convinced I can worry about seeking the will of the mind of God later because later might be too late. Verse 24, hearken unto me now therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chamber. And at least for me, some of the most frightening words of the Bible. Same topic, really, but Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, none that go unto her return, neither take them home. It is of the utmost importance in all the important decisions that we make in life that we do them in the will of God. It is important that we seek His heart and seek His mind and desire His way for every step that we take because there are some that are in their graves today because they follow the wrong road. They listen to the wrong voice. And so this, this whole approach, this whole framework that we've walked through is a means to find out the will of God. Where does he want me to go? This is what we've talked about. Number one, pray often and pray about everything that matters. You want to not pray about what you're going to have for dinner tonight, then so be it. But everything just right above that of importance needs to be a matter of prayer. We are to pray without ceasing, the scripture says. That don't mean you can do it 24 hours a day, but it means you never leave the spirit of prayer. There's going to be times you're going to set aside a half an hour to go and pray, but there's going to be times in about two seconds' time you got to talk to Jesus. That's what praying without ceasing is all about. You can't read prayer. You've got to pray always and about everything that matters. Number two, read and study the Word of God for direction. In the absence of the voice from heaven, in the absence of the angel chorus erupting in your bedroom, in the absence of that supernatural sigh and wonder up in the clouds, we have the Word of God to Get us from here to heaven. Do you realize that the people in the New Testament that Brother Shanks talked about that were filled with expectation when John began to preach didn't even have all what we've got now? Do you realize that those initial Christians for probably almost a hundred years didn't even have the New Testament written down? But they still believed. We've got enough. If God never spoke by prophecy again to get us from here to heaven. Number three, submit your spiritual authority. Submit to those that God has put over you and put you under them because they watch for your soul. Because they're going to see things you don't see. They're going to hear things that you don't hear. We've got this interesting little thing that kind of happens in our house. Uh, I don't smell all that great. I don't mean that I smell bad. Here, smell things all that great. I think, you know, over 40 years of, of allergy problems and medicines and so forth, it, you know, it just, it don't work all that great. My wife 
wife, on the other hand, and she has passed on this, this innate ability to my son as well, they can smell something 15 miles away. I mean, they just they can just pick up on it in the air and they smell all these things. Like, did you smell that? I'm like, you know, I don't smell that. I don't smell anything. However, there are some things that nobody else smells but me. Don't ask me why, but I'm walking around the house and did you smell that? That's terrible. It's awful. If there's something, you know, like the, the trash needs to be taken out or, or we forgot to take the laundry out of the washer or something, what is that smell? And nobody else smells it. I smell things they don't. They smell things that I don't. God's put people in your life that can see things, hear things, they can even smell things at times. You know, you've got to submit yourself to them. And last but not least, number four, you actually have to do it. It, it, it does nobody any good to come to an apostolic church for the rest of their life and always walk out the door and never do anything but walk out and say, yeah, that was fun. We, we have to do it. It does you no good to read the scripture if you never apply it to your life. You've got to take what you learn from reading God's word. You've got to take what is preached and taught from God's word. You've got to take what that authority in your life is speaking into your life. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. So, in shortened form, so you'll remember it from here now forever. Pray, read, obey. Be hard following the will of God. Don't you remember it? You won't forget that. So, tonight what I wanted to do with the, with the remainder of this message is, is I wanted to walk through how to do this with the, the most important decisions in your life. Now, I'm not going to hit everything. I'm not going to tell you how to choose hamburgers. I'm not going to tell you how to choose milkshakes or anything like that. And I'm not going to tell you the name of your future spouse or, or the, the pay raise you're going to get or you're not going to get, but we're going to talk about some important decisions in life. Now, some of you have already made these decisions, at least some of them, so don't sign off. You can tell somebody else about it when they're in the midst of making it. And then some of these things still apply to all of us because we're not dead yet. The Lord hasn't come back yet. So the first one is this, and it is simply the choice or the decision to serve God. Now, of course, this is the easiest one to talk about because it, it's no brainer. Literally. Turn your brain off and just do it. What series? You can break this up at work. The scripture talks about that. It has to be engaged along with your heart. But you I don't really know why you came tonight. And if you don't want to serve God, I'm preaching to the choir literally here. You are folks that, that are serving God. Uh, it, it really should be the easiest one. But but it's not for everybody. Some people struggle with this for quite some time. And so the first step, of course, is to pray. How does, how does anyone start a relationship with God? They go to the altar. They, they, they realize that they're a sinner. They realize that they're lost. They need a Savior. And they began to seek the Lord. They began to, to pray. They began to talk to Him in hopes that, that He will hear. And then, of course, all the counsel in Scripture... It is filled with a message that says, serve God, trust God, follow me. But, but just very simply, just two places I'll take you to tonight, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. There is no more essential scripture that I can think of, but you understand it. Yes, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Why is that essential in this decision? Because there's only one. The choice that the enemy of your soul has presented to all humankind from the very beginning of time is you can choose God or you can choose something else. When in reality, there's not a something else. It's idolatry. It's wickedness. It's false gods. It's statues. It's humanism. It's whatever you want to call it, whatever silly label that he wants to put on it. It's either God or nothing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. It's instructing us that there's just one. So serving, following. And in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, the, the same people are being addressed here, but they're being addressed a, a generation and a half or so later. 
when they're now staring around themselves at the promised land that they're now living in, and their leader, Joshua, is near the end of his days, and he says in verse 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you, whom this, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. He said, there is a choice. It is a decision you have to make. You can serve the gods that, that were served all the way back before the Lord ever flooded the earth. You can serve the gods of the Amorites and all the other rites in the land in which you dwell. But Joshua said, I made up my mother. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may not always have all the answers. You may not always know everything that you ought to do at any given time. You may still be, you know, Jesus may still be working on you, just like he's still working on me. But you've got to make up in your mind that I'm going to serve the Lord. When I don't understand, when I'm struggling, when I'm falling, and I don't know how to get back down where I'm at, I'm still going to serve the Lord. Amen. And then you just simply have to obey. Right? You have to obey the things that are taught, the things that are preached, the things that God speaks to you off the pages of His Word every time that you open it up. It's choosing to serve God. And every man must choose. Right? We must choose God's way or the other way. Now, number two, probably the one that you know the other people are a little more interested in because they're not married yet. It is, how do you know the will of God for who you're supposed to get his job to? It's pretty important. After deciding to serve God, after making your decision that you're going to live for God all the days of your life, if you are going to get married, then there is no other decision in your life that is more important. It's more important than your career. It's more important than what you do with your money. It's more important than where you live geographically on this world. Now, I know not everybody gets married, but if you have chosen that you want to be married, you're not one of those people that the Bible talks about. There are some that God has given a gift to that they can work for God and not be married. But all the rest of them that don't have that gift. The Apostle Paul said, go on and get married. It is the second most important decision that you will make because it will permanently alter the course of your life for the good or not. There are too many people in this world and in generations past that died lost and are living lost because they chose the wrong way. They got married to the wrong person. So, first step in this this, this template, mind you, is to pray. You got to seek the Lord about it. If you've not prayed about it, she ain't the one. Maybe she is the one. Maybe she's going to be the one. But if you ain't prayed about it, she ain't the one today. You must seek the Lord. But how? What do you seek the Lord for? Now, you know, trust God that she's going to be pretty good. He's going to be handsome, at least in your eyes. Use the eye of the holder anyway. But I want to talk a little bit about what you ought to pray for. Now, some of you have probably heard this talked about in times past. You've heard the, 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 the term a Proverbs 31 woman. Anybody ever heard that term before? Any of you ever want to play for that term? I think I'm married. But you've heard that term, Proverbs 31 woman, because you read through about two-thirds of that chapter. And it talks about a virtuous woman and, and the great value that is to be assigned to a virtuous woman. So you young men, and I know they're not all here tonight. I sure hope we're watching the live stream. They're going to get to the recording or something because they need to hear this. Hopefully, that's what you men want. Because if that's not what you want and you want the worldly girl, you need to go back to decision number one. And you need to make up in your mind that you want to serve God. You need to go and pray through. Because you don't need to have eyes for worldly girls. And girls, you don't need to have eyes 
worldly boys. If, if they haven't made up their mind to serve God, you ain't got nothing useful. So, what do you pray for when it comes to marriage? Do you ask God? God, I want Proverbs 31. I want a woman who's beautiful and who read the chapter, works night and day, makes me money, and gets up in the morning, makes sure the coffee's in I know I'm Americanizing a little bit, but it's, that's there, folks. I, I read that Proverbs 30 woman, I'm thinking that poor woman. I mean, she's working 18 hours a day, and it sounds like the man's got it easy. Do, do, do you pray, men, for God, I want you to give me the perfect woman? Maybe not perfect in the sense of perfection, but perfect for you. If we're honest with ourselves, we'd probably say a lot of us have prayed that. God, I want you to give me the person that is perfect for me. But I submit to you, you need to change your prayer. Because what you need to be praying about, young men, is will you make me a Proverbs 31 man? Because I'm going to tell you, if you're not the right kind of guy, you ain't got no business marrying that kind of person. Because you just going to mess her up. Put the shoe on the other foot. If you're not the right kind of girl, don't be getting hitched up to that godly man. You're just going to lead him astray. But see, too often, because of the desires of our flesh, our prayer turns into what I want to make. And not what God wants me to be. For somebody else. Now I understand there's, there's probably days, maybe two or three of them, that, that a loving relationship is 50 50. But there are going to be days that it's 60 40, 80 20. There are going to be days that it's 99 and a half and 0.5. And there are going to be days that it's 100 and 0. And some days you're going to be on the good end of that, and some days you're going to be on the receiving end of that. And that's just the way life works. Which is why the, the preacher traps you. And he gets up there and says, in sickness and in hell, richer for poor. You know, he's taking away every excuse. You're not leaving. Because there will be days you're richer and days you're poorer, days you're sick and days you're healthy, days you're mad, days you're happy. So you've got to seek the Lord. God, make me the man. Make me the woman that I ought to be. Because you see, and I don't kind of pick it on men, but I'm doing that for a reason. Because you don't ever hear really hardly anybody talk about Proverbs 31 men because the, the whole chapter is about the things that a mother told a son and she starts talking about the value of, of a godly woman. But before you can get down to that, you've got to run about past the man stuff. Verse 1, words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It's not for kings, O well. it's not for kings to drink wine or for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. She's talking about him, not his wife. Verse 8 says, Open thy mouth for the dumb, and the cause of all such as are reported to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above these? Before she ever gets down to how wonderful it's going to be for him to be married to the virtuous woman, she makes it clear the kind of man that he needs to be. Which leads us to that obey part of this framework. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do in my life to prepare myself for that man or for that woman that God's got out there somewhere? Don't date out of the faith. That comes from the scripture, that comes from your pastor. Don't date out of the faith. Don't date somebody just because they show up to church. Just because they go to an apostolic church don't mean you're supposed to marry them. Keep yourself pure. 
Don't be intoxicated by the world. She said, don't be drunk. Don't be intoxicated by the things of this world. Don't forget the law of God. Get the word in your heart before you start trying to give your heart to somebody else. She says, stand up for what's right. Stand up for, for justice. Involve your parents. Oh, he's got to be out of the scripture there. Right? How'd this whole chapter start? Mama said, son, sit down and listen. I will tell you what kind of girl you need to bear. Involve your parents. Involve your pastor. Involve your spiritual leadership because he knows more about marriages than just his own because there's times he's had to sit across the table from those that are having some struggles that you don't know anything about when he's trying to steer you clear from making a mistake that somebody else has done made. He knows more about those things. He's, he sometimes sees things and knows things, unfortunately, about people that you don't know. I heard many, many years ago, it always stuck with me, Bishop Steve Wilson made a statement. He said, he told his children when they were getting to that age, when it was time to date and start seeking somebody, he said, I will never tell you who to marry. I will never tell you who to go out with and who to date and who you need to be with. He said, but I am going to reserve the right to tell you who not to. He said, because being a pastor and being in the place that he was, he said, there's going to be times I'm going to know things that I can't tell you. But you just need to have enough trust and confidence in me that if daddy says, no, walk away, you'll do it. You can't have that in your life if you don't submit yourself to that authority. There's going to be times it ain't going to make sense. You're going to think that pastor is the prettiest girl I've ever seen in all my life. He sees something you don't see. God may have been talking to him in ways he hasn't talked to you yet because you're not there yet. You're still intoxicated with your beauty. You haven't got spiritual enough yet to see but that's not the one that's right for you. It's because you think they're cute. It's the will of God. So pray and live your life to be the person God wants you to be. And then you'll be well suited that God will be joined up with your life. Number three, let's get on the occupation because there ain't a whole lot of time for that. And occupation, why is that important? Why is what you do every day and how you make a living, why is that important? You know, what, what do you pray for? What is it? That's the first step. What do you pray for when it comes to a job? You know, do you just pray to make lots of money? Sometimes we have. Maybe we didn't get all too carnal and say, I just want to be rich, but we certainly pray, God, I need more. And I'm broke. We just pray to make lots of money. And I, this has stuck with me. This is in Proverbs as well, Proverbs chapter 30, um, a few years back. And it's just, it's never let go of me because I think it is such an important message for all of us. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7, we really know nothing about the person that wrote this. We don't really know anything about who he was, where he came from. Um, it, it, it's just reference there, kind of, I believe reference his name, kind of drawn a blank at the moment. But we really don't know anything about this, this man. And he, he begins writing some of these things that were included in the book of Proverbs. But he says in verse 7, two things that I require of thee. Deny me them not before I die. So this is a pretty good subject for prayer. He said, this is what I want more than anything else. Remove far from me. Vanity and lies. Neither, or give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. What does this say? It says, God, I want you to provide for me what is suited for me. Some people can handle a lot of money in a godly way, and some people can't. Some people are never going to make heaven unless God keeps them born. I, I hate it, but it's the truth. There are some folks, every time they get $20 in their back pocket, they backslide. 
doesn't need to be. God, pay me $100,000 a year because they'll die and go to hell. What does God want you to have? What does God know about you? What does God see deep down inside of you? And we begin to pray, God, I want you to put me where you want. I want you to lead me where, where you want me to go. God, if you want me to live in that house in the hill, that's fine. But if God, you want me to live in this little shack that I'm in right now, that's all right too. God, you know what's best. Not every job that I've ever wanted would have been good for me. There's a lot of them, but I thank God God slams the doors in my face because it would have been a terrible decision for me to go down some of those roads. So we have to pray, God, I want you to put me where you want. I want you to, to give me the job, give me the career, the occupation, however you look at it, whatever you call it, that is suited for me and what you know about me. The second, well, let's go to the Word of God. When we read, what is it that we get from the Bible about working, about the jobs that we should have? Well, this, this, this is the easiest one. This is the one that I want every young man to, young man to remember. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. There should not be unemployed, morbidly obese people in the world. Now, that's a stretch. I'm just making a joke, but y'all get the point. If you want to eat and you like eating, the last time I checked, most of us do. We're supposed to work. God has called us to work until He comes. He says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. You do need to work. Now I understand the differences in men and women. I understand some women work. I'm not preaching on that because there are situations when, when that's going to happen. And, and I'm not really going down that road. But we are all to do some kind of work. I learned a long time ago, after my wife decided to be a stay-at-home mother and wife, she has the harder job. There was times that, what do our baby? <laughs> See you by the buck. Kids crying and screaming and mouthfuls of stuff to do. And It's the harder job. But we are all to work. God has called us to work. So God's not even going to speak to you and call you to be a man of leisure. I'm not talking about disability. I'm not talking about people that have problems. Don't take me the wrong way. I'm talking about people that are still of the age and of the status in their physical bodies that they can work. We ought to work. we got to do what we can until Jesus comes. But it's, it goes beyond that. Hebrews 10 and 23, I know most of you are familiar with these scriptures. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful and promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the neighborhood. You remember we talked all the way back in the very beginning that God will never he cannot. It's not even possible. God will never direct you. He will never speak to you in a way that contradicts His Word. It can't happen because they're one and the same thing. Which means this. God will not send you, put you in a job that will consistently keep you out of the house of God. Now, I, I know things come up. I know things happen. I know life occurs. I'm not saying if you ever miss one service that you're on your way to hell. But I've come to tell you, too many people are lost. Too many people are backslidden. Too many people are calling God because they can hardly ever get here because of their jobs. It would be better for them to be broke and busted and barely get by on some other job than let them come to the house of God and be saved. Than to be sitting here with their house and their car and their truck and their boat and whatever else it is when the Lord comes. He will not put you in a job that will consistently keep you away from the house of God. 
He cannot contradict his own word. He's not going to lead you down a path that's going to be in conflict with what he has commanded us to do. And as the coming of the Lord approaches, it's even more critically important for us to be in the house of God. Matthew 6 and 33, we're all familiar with this one. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How does that fit into this decision? Because you need an occupation. You need a job that aligns with who you are in God. Aligns with your purpose. Aligns with your calling. Aligns with the church that God has plugged you into. It, it, it's, it would be kind of hard to be an apostolic pastor and a Navy SEAL at the same time. I'm going to run up against thou shalt not kill an awful lot in that occupation. I'm going to have a hard time going and killing somebody that I don't even know why I'm there to kill them just because some other man ordered me to do it. I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm not talking about, you know, defending your life and defending your family. I'm talking about, you know, training. But they're not mercenaries, but I'm not trying to, you know, discredit our military, but there's some jobs we don't walk in. I don't want to go sit in a nuclear warhead silo. I don't want to be the guy who gets the phone call that says, flip the switch. That's not what God put me here for. That's not what God called me here for. And I'm not just talking about military type things. There are lots of jobs in the military that don't really fit that bill. But, but you need a job. You need to be doing every day of your life things that align with who you are in God. And if they don't mix with that, it's not for you. It's not what God's called you to do. How, how do you obey these things? You take the job that God sends rather than the one that you want. Sometimes you have to turn down a promotion. Sometimes you have to pass up a job. Sometimes you have to live with less money because the thing that God has put you in is going to be better for you than what your flesh thinks it needs over there. You obey by taking your hopes and your dreams and you lay them at the feet of Jesus. I know this is pushing me a little past tonight. You just have to bear with me and forgive me later. But I remember this just a few years back. I remember Bishop Osborne preaching a message, and I have never forgotten these words. He was talking about the heart and the mind of a servant, and he said, A servant has no right to their own dreams. Their purpose is to serve the master. The only dreams that matter are the master's dreams. The only hopes that matter are the master's hopes because that's their purpose. If they get blessed along the way, then so be it. But their purpose is to bring the master's wishes to pass. We are called to be children of God. Now our Bible has promised us that eyes not seen and ears not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. I don't know what kind of rewards we're going to get over there, but I do know that in this world, there's going to be some times that what I want and what I dream about and what I hope for has got to be laid at the feet of Jesus. Whether I understand it or not. That's how we obey it. We bring it to God and say, God, if you don't want me to have it, I'm not doing it. If you don't want me to go there, I'm not going. It doesn't matter how much I want, God, you put me exactly where you want. That's how we seek what we do for a living. We seek the kingdom of God first. Last but not least, our money, which got kind of connected to the one before that. Now, you know, naturally, the job will come before this. I know everybody sits around and daydreams because you don't play the lottery about walking down the road and the heathen that do play the lottery, you know, drop the chicken on the ground and you pick it up. Oh, I'm a millionaire. Never heard an apostolic word like that in my time. For the most part, God very rarely works in windfalls. Now, I know he owns a cow with a thousand hills. I know he can show up tomorrow and write us a check for five million dollars to go build a magnificent new church building, but he rarely ever does it that way. For the most part, he does things by us working. You have food to eat because you work to put food 
on the table. So you get the job first. You have the, the occupation first. So then what do you pray about? Not yet. What do you pray about? What do you do with the money you've got? Besides eating. Besides the mortgage. Besides, you know, the essential things of life. What do you do with the money that, that you now have? The resources you now have besides eating. Now, there's a lesson here because too often we spend too much of our money on the desires of the flesh. And we're still not putting the kingdom of God first. Proverbs 22 and 7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Sometimes the lust of our flesh sabotage what we could have done for the kingdom of God. You see, we some folks need to wake up and realize that the people that are rich, God did not give God made them rich. God did not make them to be so blessed because he just chose that, that they should live a greater life of leisure than somebody else. If God sends a lot of resources your way, it's because he wants you to use them. David was the king of all Israel. Undoubtedly, the king is probably going to have a higher standard of living you know, than the pauper that's out in the middle of the field. But at the same time, kings were commanded. Don't have a bunch of wives. Don't have a bunch of chariots. Don't have a bunch of horses. Don't build a bunch of houses. Why? Because they weren't there just to sit back and be fanned all day and people drop grapes into their mouth. They were there to take those great resources. Bless God's people. Do something with it. There's times we make foolish financial decisions and now we can't do for God what He wanted us to do because we made the wrong choices. So don't trade future peace for pleasant for pleasure. So what else do you pray for? God, how much do I give? How do I use this money that I have? What do I do with it? Malachi 3 and 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. From the very beginning, very beginning, long before the, the New Testament, and from the very infancy of the, the books of the Old Testament, God has established our primary way of putting his kingdom first in our money. And it's tithes and offerings. Or tithes, well, it's all throughout Scripture, but specifically Leviticus 27 and 30. It says, that all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem all of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even the ones that are passed under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. For thousands of years, God has used the tithe, the tithe, to take care of those that take care of God's house. Those that watch for our souls. Those that take care of the things of God on your behalf and for your benefit. That's what the tithe is. It is a tenth. It makes it easy because, you know, it's the first thing we learn how to divide and designate the school. We all get a tenth. We are to tithe a tenth of all of our increase. And everything that we get, that God blesses us with, we are to give a tenth back. It doesn't belong to us, it's His. What are offerings? Bible's filled with them all the time, all different purposes. That's why we take them up, how we do it. There were offerings for the tabernacle, offerings for the church, there were offerings for the poor, there were offerings for the widows, and offerings for the orphans, for those who could not provide for themselves. That's an awful lot of my missions to me. All sorts of things that are the kingdom of God's priorities that we are to give to from our how do we obey that? How do we do what the Bible says? Well, same chapter Malachi 3 and 10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now here with, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. 
and I will, I didn't notice this in quite so much before, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your bread, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the tide of the field, saith the Lord of hosts. If you put God's kingdom first, he rebukes the things that are eating up what you've got left. Isn't it amazing sometimes, no matter how hard we try, when we're not faithful to the things of God, we never seem to have anything left. God said, if you'll trust me, and you'll bring the tithe to the storehouse, I'll rebuke those things that eat up your increase so that you will be blessed. Which teaches me, don't delay. That's how he obeyed his commandments. Don't delay. Give to God first. When you get paid, hurry yourself to bring it to the house of God. Give it to the house of God before you spend it. Don't, don't take out loans on God. You don't want to come up over at the end of time. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to read these verses very quickly. I appreciate you very with me tonight. It's kind of a the, the summary, the summary of this of this series. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose of the day. Time to be born, and time to die. Time to plant, and time to pluck up that which is planted. Time to kill, and time to heal. Time to break down, and time to build up. Time to weep, and time to laugh, and time to mourn, and time to dance. Time to cast away stones, and time to gather stones together. Time to embrace, and time to refrain from embracing. Time to get, and time to lose. Time to keep, and time to cast away. Time to rend, and time to sow. Time to keep silence, and time to speak. Time to love, and time to hate. Time of war, and time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? The whole course in our life. What is it that we get it? Why are we doing this? Why are we living every day? He says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. God's ways don't always make sense. They don't always measure up to what we think and what we feel and what we want. But in His time, it's all beautiful. I want you to pay attention to this last part. It says that He had set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God made from the beginning to the end. When we first glance at that, it almost sounds like world of death. He set the world, this world, in our hearts, but that's not what it means. The Hebrew word there means the vanishing point, or time out of mind, or eternity. God has set eternity in our hearts. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're seeking the will of the mind of God about all these decisions in our life. This is why, you know, a pastor wants to make sure that these young men and young women that are coming up, they stay in the right course. Because eternity is in front of us. Everything we're doing down here is just a preparation for what he has prepared for us all over there. He has set eternity in our hearts. Would you lift up your hands? Worship God with me. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, for your mercy. God, we thank you for the wisdom of your mercy. God, we thank you for putting shepherds over us to care for our soul. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us as individuals, that we can hear your voice and we can understand it. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you love us so much, that you've never left us alone, God, but that you have charted the course of our life. For truly the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And Lord, we ask you to give us the strength, give us the courage, Lord, to help us seek to walk. Amen.
you for being faithful to the house of God tonight. In the coming days, if you wake up tomorrow and the Lord hasn't come, find somebody tomorrow to invite the church. Find somebody on Friday to invite the church. Don't come back on Sunday. Never have invited anybody to the house of God. Let's get souls in this place so they can hear His word and be filled with the Holy Ghost. God bless you in Jesus. Thank you.